It's a short, live and in-person walk through the news of the week. Including a new venue for classic Doctor Who. A new book series about Doctor Who book series. Your chance to welcome Jodie Whittaker. And another fan convention setting the wrong example. For Tuesday, May 29th, it's This Week in Time Travel. Hi, I'm Chip. I'm Alyssa. And we're staring at each other. Yes, and not over Skype. I am actually in person in North Carolina. And oh my God, how do you survive this humidity on a regular basis? We're a hardier lot than you in D.C. people. Whatever. Come face me in a Los Angeles desert sometime and tell me about your hardiness. <laughs> uh, I am happy to visit you in Los Angeles anytime as long as it's in the comfort of a air-conditioned convention venue. Well, we can certainly make that happen. In the meantime, let's do this before I melt away like the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> So just because I have to turn off the air conditioning in my house to make the noise, just the, the lack of noise, just pristine for podcasting purposes. It, these are sacrifices that we North Carolinians make on a daily basis. Pa. OK, that was a look of contempt. Um, before we get into the news, just a brief digression. I'm sure, Alyssa, you've got thoughts about the movie that we just saw. Uh... <laughs> and that is your review of Solo, a Star Wars story from the This Week in Time travel team. It's like cotton candy. It's sweet and fun for a moment, insubstantial and wholly unsatisfying at the end. Anyways, you can at me on Twitter. I, I thought it was okay, but but man, there was just one, two, five hundred, six hundred in jokes and Easter eggs. Too many. Did not do enough with their new characters, got rid of some characters a little too quickly. Their politics were uh, incredibly shallow. And ultimately, it just did not hold up as its own movie satisfyingly within the Star Wars universe. And yeah. But the seats were comfy and the drinks were tasty. It was a movie theater in which they gave you alcohol, which... I'll admit, made the movie a lot better. At Hoofian Feminism and at Numeral Two Minute Time Lord for your Star Wars thoughts. So it's actually been a relatively eventful week for Doctor Who news. And we've got a few items to run through in this brief episode. And of course, the big news of the week was Twitch. Twitch is going to be streaming classic Doctor Who stories. It's going to be totally free and it is going to be replaying it several times for your convenience. If you have not started watching the classic series, this is your best entry point in. You are not going to have to toss down a ridiculous amount of money to buy a ridiculous amount of DVDs because we are still doing individual level stories and only just starting to get to collecting them and releasing them all together. And honestly, there's going to be great panels talking about it, which is going to give you some wonderful context as you're getting started with your Doctor Who viewing journey. Yeah, I mean, this is the first time in a long time with the exception of the 50th anniversary special, that people around the world can literally watch Doctor Who at the same time. It's running Monday through Friday, starting today, when you're hearing this, if you're, if you're listening to this when the episode drops on May 29th, the episodes will start at 11 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time, or 7 p.m. in the U.K., 
and they will run new episodes back to back for eight hours and then repeat them twice. So theoretically, wherever you are, you have a chance of watching Doctor Who um, these episodes at a time that's convenient to you. It's Twitch, so there's a community there. There's global chat going on during these episodes and things like that. So this sounds social. It's going to be an interactive experience. It's going to be something that you can participate in. It is the internet. It is, you know, probably going to be liable to some interesting moments. So play nice, everybody. Let's give the new people a chance to come into this fandom without being scared off. Mm -hmm. So on your best behavior, folks. Now, I am an old, so... What I know about Twitch, I've largely gotten from my son, who has picked up the Twitch premium account that comes with my Amazon Prime subscription, so I don't watch it. My kid watches it a lot. My sense is that there is an atmosphere of both reverence for the stuff that they stream on Twitch and irreverence, you know. Um, Previous shows that Twitch has streamed like this have included Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the Joy of Art with Bob Ross, Happy Little Trees. They've actually streamed that stuff on Twitch, you know. So I can't imagine that the natural audience of gamers who use Twitch were that enthused about seeing Bob Ross paint Happy Little Trees. I also imagine that there's going to be some, you know, making fun of some of the green bubble wrap moments in Doctor Who itself. Which it deserves, and nobody ribs Doctor Who like Doctor Who fans rib Doctor Who. So it should be a delightful time. There's going to be introductory panel shows produced by a UK podcast called the Yogs Cast. So we are also going to have some familiar commentators on it if you've been listening to us for a while. So our friends Paul Cornell and Beth from the Time Ladies are going to be there. Katie Manning as well, my favorite, Mm -hmm. is going to be on several of the episodes talking about the classic series. So writer writer Bob Baker, too. Yes. Who created K-9. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, mistress. Uh, The... So they're going to be like doing these shows, introducing each doctor and giving you some insights. And from some of the coverage that I've seen, it sounds like they're, you know, it's not going to be just laudatory. It's not just going to be BBC press office stuff. They're going to talk about some of the highs and lows and just actually talk about the show with affection, but with an analytical eye. Yes. So to follow along, you want to go to twitch.tv slash twitch presents and all of it will be there. I will be fascinated to see if my kid bites and starts watching this thing. I'm I'm really, really curious. Parental rebellion is a hell of a thing. Well, that's true. That's true. Dad, you like that? Hell no. Exactly. Yeah. Rebellion. This is a bit of a stretch as far as segues go, but the new adventures were a rebellious take on Doctor Who, wouldn't you say? Oh, look at that. Don't bang your head against the microphone. It'll make a noise that I have to edit out. Okay, I've disappointed my co-host once again. Um, So ATB Publishing has put out the outside-in books with Robert Smith and Graham Burke. They've looked at the Doctor Who episodes from Classic and the Modern Series. They're doing a similar take. Anthony Wilson and Robert Smith are going to do a series called Bookworm. W-Y-R-M, Bookworm, an unauthorized and unconventional guide to the Doctor Who novels coming in 2019. 
And volume one of that is going to be covering the new adventures, which I'm not super familiar with. I have a passing familiarity with. I have raided a local secondhand bookstore and acquired several new adventures novels. So that is forthcoming from me to dive into that new and unexplored part of Doctor Who fandom. So it should be a very interesting book. Paul sort of alluded to it uh, when he was talking about fan fiction and the sort of fanfic legacy that led to writing Doctor Who stories and then coming to the new series. Uh, the new adventures were experimental. They were edgy. They were trying some new things. They covered the Seventh Doctor and Ace and then future companions for the Seventh Doctor. Long ago, I had an impression about the new adventures that they were... And it was an unfair impression, but it was an impression that the new adventures had strayed too far from like pure Doctor Who and were too too out there, too difficult, and not enough like the TV series. But it was a time when the show wasn't on the air. There was space for experimentation. There was space for storytellers to really wrestle with material and do some innovative things. Paul Cornell was one of those writers. Uh, Russell T. Davis was one of those writers with a story called Damaged Goods. You know, I'm going to be really interested to see what uh, Wilson and Smith have to say about it. They say it's going to be an irreverent analytical series, and they've gotten all kinds of good blurbs from people we trust, like the frequently aforementioned Paul Cornell. Other news this week, BBC America, as you might recall, did a farewell Peter Capaldi video series. And now it's time for a welcome series for our wonderful, wonderful Jodie Whittaker. If you want to be part of the action, you know, there were even some celebrities involved in the farewell to Peter Capaldi stuff. Alton Brown did a 10 second uh, farewell to Peter Capaldi thing. Uh, BBC America is going to take the most interesting ones of the bunch and they're going to do a mashup video that's going to take all of these fan greetings and put them together for Jodie Whittaker. So record 10 seconds or so of video. Hold your phone horizontal if you're using a cell phone. The vertical video thing is a pox upon humanity. I'm sorry. Videos were made to be horizontal. Darn it. Chip has feelings. Yes. Uh, and send your full name, username, and attach the video to social at bbcamerica.com. And if you want to learn more about the project or just get these details because we are shouting them at you and uh, you've probably not had an opportunity to write them down, uh, you want to go to bit.ly slash welcome Jody. The deadline is Friday, June 8th. So get on it, folks. Um, I'm debating whether or not to do one. What about you? Oh, I I like them. I don't know that I have the courage to do one of those because it's a thing. Uh, <laughs> but I might do it. I might. I don't know. Uh, I'd have to, like, figure out intelligent, thoughtful things to say. And uh, what? You have no problem with intelligent, thoughtful things to say. Come on. I do when they're emotional for me. And then it's just <laughs> like you ever try to write a wedding speech like this. This is a, this is a rough genre, folks. <laughs> You're not saying that you have strong thoughts about the fact that we finally have a woman doctor and it's who she is. Quite possibly. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, I will be over in my corner procrastinating on this until the absolute last possible moment. 
Last bit of news, and it's not directly related to Doctor Who, but it's a subject that we've been talking about off and on ever since we started doing the podcast, and it's been a concern for us and many of our friends in the fandom community. And that is taking care of your guests and your attendees and making conventions a safe space. And there was some trouble in the last couple of weeks at FanX in Salt Lake City that we thought was really worth commenting on. Yeah. If you haven't been following this, the Cliff Notes version is that a guest had admitted to inappropriate behavior with female guests and several female attendees had been in contact with the convention in order to ask that, one, they stop giving excuses for his behavior and minimizing it in public venues. And two, not the main person who's the focus of this, but other women were saying, you know what, he shouldn't be invited back. It's not a you stay away for a little while, but he should not be invited back ever again in the future. The guest who had misbehaved. Yes. And the convention properly shot themselves in their own foot. They went on to very publicly attack one of the female guests who had spoken up and said, hey, you should stop minimizing and excusing his behavior in public. Uh, They published her email address. They went off on a spree of justification and excuses for both their guests and their own behaviors, including their own failure to take the harassment seriously and properly take action to protect female attendees. Yeah, one of the things that really stuck in my crawl, aside from the unforgivable, you know, reposting their email response to one of the complainants and publishing her email address is just beyond the pale. There is also the sort of geek fallacy that they and so many other conventions fall back on that harassing behavior is a byproduct of a quote, touchy-feely, close quote, uh, fandom environment where people like to hug each other and things like that. And if you make us deal with harassment issues and consent issues too strictly, then that's going to ruin the convention for everybody. And I like using a clean tag on this podcast, so I'm not going to use the word that I want to use regarding that. But this is not good. This is not good in any way, shape or form. We know the difference between people who are perhaps very emotional and want to be friends with you and want to hug you and the people that are harassing you. And the difference is usually that the people who want to hug you ask you before they hug you. And if you say no, they respect that and they don't try to make you become a touchy-feely person by hugging and kissing you without your consent. So really, that's a red herring. We should acknowledge it for what it is and we should push it aside Mm -hmm. um, because that's not really what is being debated here. The other thing is that in the midst of Fanex trying to update their policies around sexual harassment, one of the main individuals involved really went on a point of coming up with justifications and excuses for why they could not take more action against the attendee who had behaved poorly, saying that they could not publicly ban him without facing a lawsuit 
of one kind or another and saying that it was he said versus she said. And there's a few things. One, there's the fact that in this circumstance, it wasn't he said versus she said. It was he said, as in he admitted to the behavior Mm -hmm. publicly and said, yes, I did that. And that was wrong. At which point the convention was not relying on hearsay. The other thing um, is that legally this response is on incredibly shaky legs to the point of it doesn't exist. And several lawyers have commented about this on Twitter, that you can remove somebody from an event and you can do this perfectly legally and not face discrimination lawsuits as a result because you have a set of policies outlining what behavior is and is not acceptable. And if this person violates their policies, even if you personally yourself did not witness them, but have an investigation in which you talk to the people involved and come to the conclusion that reasonably he probably did something that was unacceptable, you are following your own policies and the policies to which they agreed to to be at your event, and you are allowed to remove them. But there's a larger point here that I think we need to talk about because I hear this so often from so many different conventions that they are worried about taking action against bad actors because they are worried about lawsuits, because they feel that even one lawsuit, even if they are in the right, can end their convention. And frankly, I think we need to have a values resetting conversation here about what is it worth to be able to keep this event up and running? Because frankly, your event isn't worth anything if I am not going to be safe there. If this community cannot prosper and thrive and grow and Feel comfortable there together. I will be the first person if a convention follows its policies and kicks out harassers and abusers to organize a legal defense fund in order to keep you solvent while you are fighting a lawsuit. But you know what? I need to see the same level of investment from these conventions. I need them to stand up for their values and say, this is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard. But it is the right thing to do to make sure our environments are safe for women, are safe for people of color, are safe for disabled folks, are safe for queer folks, are safe for any marginalized community that is more often than not the target of this harassment and abuse. So you know what? I'm not buying this argument anymore, and I am not going to allow it to perpetuate. If you are so afraid that your convention is going to fold and collapse because you stood up and said, that harasser, that abuser cannot be present here, then your convention doesn't deserve to continue at all. And even on top of that, even when the convention does the right thing on paper, there is frequently a note of defensiveness or justification. We're just a volunteer convention. This is hard for us to manage. We're never going to get it all right, but we're all good actors. We're all in and things like that. There was a lot of subtext or actual text alluding to that from the folks at FanX. And that's the wrong thing to be concerned about. This is not when something like this happens. Reputation management isn't about telling people how good you are. Reputation management is leaping to do the right thing and not trying to protect yourself with justifications because people see through that. You know, I've been harassed. I have sat with friends after they have faced pretty horrific harassment and abuse. That's what hard things are like. 
when you sit there and you are feeling violated, when you are sitting there and your friend is breaking down in tears because she went to a place that she wanted to have fun, where she felt safe and had all of that violated. I get that this takes work, but I do not want you to prioritize your own comfort and your own feelings here over those people that have actually faced harm. We really need a values resetting conversation here because fan run conventions, volunteer run conventions are some of the best places I've ever been in my life where I found the best community in my life. But we face too many horrible things to be able to just sweep this under the rug. It's a tough time for fan-run conventions right now. We know that the big conventions make a lot of money and spend a lot of money and run up the costs of guests and things like that. We get that. But if conventions are going to be an ongoing thing, if conventions are going to be a thing that convention runners want to continue to offer and people want to continue to go to, they need to do what's necessary to make sure that they are welcoming to a growing audience, a growing potential audience, not becoming insular and smaller because an increasing number of guests or potential guests just don't feel safe there anymore. If you want conventions to thrive, welcome everybody. And part of making welcoming everybody is making people feel safe and valued. This is where your value and your fan run conventions is going to come in. I go to fan run conventions almost exclusively now over big conventions because that's where the community is. If there's one thing I want people to learn from the Me Too movement right now is that it's everybody. You know, we had that incredible conversation at Gallifrey One about abuse and harassment and how rife it was in the industry. And I looked out in that audience and I knew the vast majority of them had also faced something similar. There were people crying in the audience because what was talked about on stage resonated with them so deeply. It's on us right now to defend the communities that we have against the bad actors. And I'm going to keep standing up and speaking out for them and fighting for them. Thank you for joining us on This Week in Time Travel. You can find us online at thisweekintimetravel.com. We're on Twitter at drwhothisweek. Chip is on Twitter at numeral two minute time lord. And I'm on Twitter and Tumblr at Whovian Feminism. You can find us on Facebook too. Thanks to Christopher Breen for our music, to David Lore for our podcast artwork. Please review us on Apple Podcasts. Consider becoming a member of the Incomparable Network. Tell all your friends about us. We will return next week in our normal venues with Alyssa in a comfortably air-conditioned environment this time. Thank God. And we'll be picking up on our Fandom Perspective series. So until then, this is Chip. This is Alyssa. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.